Welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guests today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome everyone to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. We are excited to be here today. And honestly, I'm really excited about this episode. I have a fantastic guest here with us. Orion Avidan is with us today, and she is the Chief Inventory Profitability Expert at Retail Adventure. She helps Amazon sellers increase margins by 20% through excess inventory elimination using the balanced inventory system. She's focused on problem solving and value creation. Orion brings an intriguing mix of training and experience. Over 10 years, she's written code, worked for a hospital, in a chemical plant, in startups, at a marketing agency, just to name a few places. She's caring, detail-oriented, and her main focus is on getting you quantifiable results with dollar signs. I love, love your... Uh, your bio there. And, and I'm super excited to hear a little bit more about some of the processes that you've either automated, delegated, or eliminated today. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure. And yeah, automation and elimination are a lot of fun. Delegation, I'm still working on. Well, it's a process, right? You kind of have to figure out how you're going to tackle that. So just to get started here, obviously we we read the bio, but I, I like to give the guests a little bit more about you know how you came to where you are today. So if you if just give us you know the two to three minute version of your origin story, so you'll find out that I'm a superhero nerd. You know, so I'm I'm way into origin stories. Tell us a little bit about your your origin story. Sure, no problem. I came from a very academic background. So follow the high road, go to school, go to college, get your BSc, get your MBA, get a job, move in the job world and they get promoted by the book. And then life happens. Things didn't go by the book. I did not fit well in the job world. Smart girl, got good grades always. Couldn't figure out how to work with bosses. They never got me. I never got them. Eventually, I realized that I want to be doing something that is valuable and really contributing to the world, not just doing a job, which is when I started looking outside and trying to figure out what it is that I really want to do. And I accidentally ran into Dr. Ellie Goldrack, who developed the theory of constraint. He was giving a talk to the alumni at my school. And I was mesmerized and I started researching and learning and studying and going to the conferences and challenging what he was teaching and what he was saying again and again and again until it just pulled me in and I've never left. When inside this amazing body of knowledge of theory of constraints, I started looking for my niche and eventually I realized it's inventory. Inventory has everything that I love in it and I can bring a lot of value to it. Interesting. So you found this theory, it sucked you in, and eventually you came to a place where you decided that that could be applied to inventory, which is what brought you to where you are today. 
Yeah, one of the last places that Dr. Ellie Goldratt's research before his death, he liked new, doing new stuff all the time, was retail and inventory. So he devised a solution for this area of knowledge. And I've been working off of that, learning it and applying it more specifically to e-commerce, Amazon sellers. Everything you move from one domain to the other and changes completely, always. Powerful. <laughs> okay. I like it. We're getting deep here. It's it's not very often that we get this deep this quickly on a podcast. Um, here we go. So tell me a little bit about the process that we're going to discuss today. So obviously there's a process around inventory management and inventory forecasting, and we could spend five or six episodes just talking about inventory. But more specifically for this podcast today, which process do you want to focus on in terms of what we're going to basically go around that automation delegation or elimination, what would you say is the, the process we're going to focus on today? So we're going to talk about replenishment. It's the process of deciding how much inventory you need to bring in, which exact SKUs do you need to bring in, and where do you want them in your supply chain at what time? Okay. I love it. And I think that's, you probably got a lot of people kind of sitting on the edge of their seats at this point, because I think replenishment is a huge issue and it is across any e-commerce business, right? This is, this is something that is very, very, very tricky. So tell me a little bit about what this process looked like or looks like before you help someone automate, delegate, or eliminate the process. What does it look like when it's done manually? Well, replenishment is a big data process. You have to make a lot of decisions on each and every item at the SKU level. So it's very intensive, a lot of data collection, a lot of dots to connect, and a lot of heuristics to abide by where we don't really know what is going to happen. We don't really know how our decisions are going to impact or be impacted by the future. And we have to make big decisions with little data to rely on. So it's hard, complex, and very fragile. Understood. So so as you're looking at that manual process, it can be about pulling data from, you know, eight or 10 different sources and having to manually check each one of those sources to see what that inventory looks like at any given time. You know, it can be a really tricky piece there to look at. Yes. Even if you have just one data point, let's say your inventory is in Amazon and you look at all of their distribution centers as a big black box. It's still very confusing. You have long supply times, you have minimum order quantities or MOQs, and each supplier does those differently. You have demand patterns, you have holidays, you have sales dates like uh, Prime Day or Black Friday. You have to take all of that into consideration and figure out what to do with it each and every time. That sounds like it could get really confusing really fast in terms of some of the, the different inputs and outputs there as you're deciding to look at that and decide where it goes. Three questions that we often like to ask ourselves about the inputs and outputs are, where is the data now? Where does it need to go? And what happens to it in between? As I, as I read off those three questions and we're talking about replenishment, what does that spark for you? 
Well, some of the data is readily available or very easy to obtain, like answering the question, how many units do you have on hand in Amazon? That's one piece of data that I actually pretty much trust, trust Amazon to give me the right number. There are other pieces of data that not only you don't have, they don't exist. How many units will your customers want in two months time? Who will be your competitors for the keyword in three months time or in two weeks time? What will be the global demand? I mean, take now, for example, we're in the middle of Corona lockdown. Nobody predicted Corona lockdown, but you have to run your inventory through it. Yeah. Absolutely. So so how do you predict the unpredictable? Well, you don't. You build a model that takes the fact that you don't know the future into account and creates a managing process with the initial understanding that we do not know the future and we will not know the future. Totally hear you. So that model has to exist and has to overcome, be ready for some of these difficulties that come through. What does that look like, you know, in terms of creating a model or or working a model and making it so that it can handle some of these unforeseen things? What do you have to do? Well, I say it's like driving a car. You have to have a plan. Everybody I talk to says, so you do forecasting. And I say, no, I don't, because we can't forecast the future. We do a plan, which is like the fact that you go into your car in one city and you plan to get to your job at a different city or to your parents at a different city. You have a plan. You know where you need to turn. You go on the highway. You know where you go off the highway. But you also have flexibility. And you don't take your eyes off the road. It's very much the same way. We need to have an agile system with a quick feedback mechanism that tells us, okay, the road is free to go, you can go faster, or there is a traffic jam here, look for a different way. We need that feedback coming to us constantly. And then we adjust. Interesting. So if you were looking at it in terms of the difference between the manual and the automated or the we don't have a model and now we have a model, what would you say the biggest difference is? The size of the decisions. In order to have the model, we need to make a lot of small, fast decisions. In the old process, we didn't have information, so we guessed. And then money was the king, and we tried to make everything cheaper. So we would make huge decisions. How much inventory to buy for the entire Q4, sometimes for half a year. And we make them a lot of time ahead because buying such a big amount requires a lot of time for negotiations, for production, for shipping. Everything takes time. So you have these huge, huge decisions that take a long time. And by the time you get the feedback returning to you, they're not relevant anymore. So by making smaller decisions, you're able to get the feedback or the feedback loop closed faster, and therefore you can react more rapidly to the situations at hand. Correct. I like it. Tell me, what software do you use as you're taking this sort of thing? And I love to hear software, not only just that you're working on with replenishment, but I also love to hear software just in general for, you know, that you're using to automate different pieces of your life. So I, I just, I love to, I'm a little bit of a software junkie. So I'd love, love to hear about what pieces of software you're using. Well, for this 
inventory replenishment system, I'm using a tool that was designed for the U.S. Army's uniform logistics during their time in the deserts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And this was a huge operation because each soldier in each unit has a different task and the uniforms are adjusted to the task. And you can't do partial kit. A soldier that didn't get his shoes or her shirt or their night goggles is a soldier that cannot perform to full capacity is a soldier whose life is in danger and the other part of this complex problem is the fact that the army has a huge amount of suppliers for uniforms and they're all big suppliers they are not going to change their entire computer system not even for the u.s army and so the solution is a very small piece of software that knows how to work as a standalone or integrate with just about anything with any ERP system that has the data you need and with any system that does your ordering through very simple flat files. And I love it because if I get somebody to put the data in, I can work with somebody who's still working with a notebook as long as the data comes in to me on a computer. But I can also work with the most sophisticated ERP systems. Very, very independent, which I love. So tell me, what are the different pieces of software that you use to make that happen? Well, I said it was very, very simple. I use Excel. So if a customer comes to me and they're using, they're selling only on Amazon, it's very, very easy. I pull in the data from Amazon and fire back an answer. This is what you need to order from your suppliers. If it's an omni-channel client, they have several sources of inventory, several locations like a 3PL, Amazon, their own store, their own Excel files. We just figure it out. We create translation point where we figure out how their inventory comes in, what kind of corrections does it need. I have an example, a client that uses currently two channels, but in the past he was up to, I think, five. And in each channel, at least one SKU got a different name. So if you use an SKU name in Amazon and you want to make a change, you get a new SKU name and the old SKU name is lost. But the system can only work with one SKU name per item. So we just fix it in the process of moving the data from one point to the other. Interesting. So as you're looking at these uh, different pieces, what processes do you use that allow you or help you to decide when to automate, when to delegate or when to eliminate? So as you're looking at, you know, replenishment or you're looking at the different pieces of what you need to do, what process do you use uh, when you're going to decide whether or not something should be automated, delegated or eliminated? For me, the first thing is the repeatability factor. Anything that I can write down in such a way that a computer or a three-year-old can follow the instructions. A computer is more stupid usually. Sorry, computers. It has to be automated. If it's extremely predictable and repeatable, there is no point that a person will do that repeatedly. There's just no sense. So the first thing that I automate or will automate is the data processing, pulling the data from one system and moving it to the next and 
pressing the buttons. I need to come in and look at the results and apply my brain to it. I don't need to set everything up. Okay. So as you're looking at it in terms of delegation, so I, lo I love your your process for automation there. That that makes sense. We, we use something similar. We say if it could be taught to an intern with basic understanding of Excel or Google Sheets and basic understanding of email in the same amount of time that it takes to actually do the task, then it probably could be automated is usually so very similar to your three-year-old approach, right? You know, if this is something that could easily be done over and over again, tell me about your delegation process. What does it look like when you're looking to delegate something? I actually delegate two types of tasks in my life right now. One is financial tasks, like looking at my bills every month and making sure that everything is entered into the computer correctly. It's very hard to automate this because the data shifts around, but it's always the same data. So it took me the better half of 15 minutes with my 15-year-old, and now he does it for me for one of his tasks. Mm, okay. The other thing I delegate is content creation. So I create my own content for, say, uh, articles uh, and LinkedIn, but I have somebody else proofread it and dress it up. I, I write very technical, and then somebody comes in and makes it into language other people other than me can understand. And that is, again, a process where you need somebody who's not a machine, who can look at it and apply some judgment, but is external to me because my judgment in this is already flawed. I'm too involved. Gotcha. That's powerful. So I love what you're saying there about you know, what it means to tackle some of these processes and, and understand, you know, that it has to be something that can be handled that way. That's powerful. So let's talk about elimination. What process do you use when you're deciding whether or not a process should be eliminated from what you were doing before? Oh, that's a difficult question. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very bad at eliminating. I am very attached to my processes. I'm trying to think what have I eliminated recently. In a lot of situations, this is called a stop doing list, right? It's a list of things that we've decided, okay, this is no longer achieving the end result that we're looking for. So uh, what we're looking for is criteria or process that we use to move towards the stop doing list. What do we do to, to help us get to where we're going to move towards it? So at data automation, one of the things that we do for the stop doing list is we start looking at the output. So, you know, if my end goal here is to replenish my inventory and I look for different pieces and I look for different pieces of things that are going to change how we get where we need to go. We're looking for situations where, oh, I made a purchase and in the end, a lot of that inventory didn't move. And then we sort of follow that backwards to find out where the original decision was made. I delegated this task. Let's talk about the house for a second. So you find that a different piece of your house is consistently messy. We have a stairwell in our house that seems to be where all the kids' toys get left. And you kind of have to work backwards and say, okay, well, who did I give that task to in the past? And why is that getting messy, right? And then we kind of figure out how to eliminate the things that were causing that messiness, so to speak. Any ideas around the process of elimination? I know I've eliminated stuff. But it's kind of like one day I, w I raise my eyes and, oh, that stopped happening. I'm very bad at letting go. I think the first thing I eliminated is my tendency to 
run and help everybody when they don't want me to. And I've learned to hold back. When we look at inventory, what you eliminate is the idea, the concept that you know what will happen in the future. And as soon as you eliminate that and you stop trying to figure out what will happen in the future, you can start working on what is happening now and how the how to let the market pull instead of trying to push. And I think in my life as well, I'm trying to stop pushing myself and other people into doing stuff and instead looking for a way to pull, make it easier for it to happen. Find the gap and let it fill up. Interesting. And that allows you to decide which one, which process should be eliminated? When you look at the gap and you figure out this is where I am and this is where I want to go to, this is where I want to be, you can start understanding what is it that you need and what is it that you don't need and look at eliminating it and figuring out what it is that's holding you back. So here's a very different example from my private life. When I feel really tired, I tend to go and binge on YouTube. And this isn't good for me. This is a very big gap from where I'd like to be, where what I do when I'm tired fills me up instead of pulls me in to binge. And now looking at it, figuring it out, realizing what is missing there to allow me to eliminate the binge activity that is not good for me. What can I put instead? How can I move towards what I want? That's powerful. Okay, so it allows you to decide how to eliminate and create better processes that are, are really going to take that to the next level and go through where we're where you're looking to make it go. Okay, that's powerful. Yes, because eliminating on its own is very scary. It feels like you're left with nothing. We know it isn't, but it feels like it. Yeah, I totally hear you. So, you know, as we get get into these different pieces of, of what we're looking at and, and where we're going in terms of replenishment, what would be the number one piece of advice that you would give to e-commerce sellers or entrepreneurs listening to this podcast? What would be your one piece of advice that you would give them as you're kind of tackling that, that different process or looking at it? Let go of the past. The fact that this has always been done this way doesn't mean that it's good for you, doesn't mean that it's helping you. It's actually stopping you from moving ahead and growing and having better results. Interesting. It's very aligned with your eliminate process. Interesting. So let go of the past, recognize that there are, are some opportunities that need to be let go of in order to, to tackle the future. It's not opportunities, it's habit. It's that answer that you give anybody new who comes in with an idea. This is how we've always done it. You've always done it that way. And yes, it's working to you to some extent, but maybe there is something better out there. Why do you need to make do with a horse and a buggy when you can have a truck or a plane? Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. And the last thing we like to ask on our podcast episodes is, are there any services or specials that you'd like to mention on our podcast today? And where can people find you? So going from what you've always done or what you learned when you started with e-commerce that everybody told you this is how it's done to this new system is a very, very big step. And usually when I come in to work with people, the first thing that is bugging them, the first thing that is troubling them, the pain they're feeling is 
having excess inventory and storage. If it's an Amazon where they charge you an arm and a leg, if it's the need to hold the inventory in the 3PL and pay them, or if it's just filling up your garage because you had to pull it out to stop paying for it. Excess inventory is a big issue. And the biggest issue is we had a plan for this we invested money and we had a plan for this money and we don't want to see it go to waste. We don't want to lose on it. And what I have to offer is beyond the tools and the services that I give, which are ongoing services and are planned to leave you out of this situation. Right now, if you're in the situation, I have a very simple analysis tool that will look at your inventory, your excess inventory, and show you how to manage it so you make the most profit out of the bad situation instead of just cost cutting across the board and losing where you can still profit. And this is a simple Excel tool. It's very automated. You just put your data in and presto, you get the answers. And I would love for you to have it. And where you can find me is on LinkedIn, of course, Facebook. My name is Orion, O-R-I-O-N, Avidan. And my email is a bit long, but I'll spell it out for you. It's Orion at retail-ad, that's A-D-D-venture.com. And I'd be happy to chat with you. I love it. Well, thank you very much for joining our podcast today, Orion. I'm I'm really excited about you know inventory is a key piece for the different individuals that are that are here listening, and I'm sure that there are some solid nuggets here that we've been able to share. Appreciate everybody uh, joining us today on our podcast as you're listening, and that's it today for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen.